Hello, I'm Rob. Welcome to The Good, The Bad, and The Podcast. This is going to be a podcast about two guys who like movies, four guys or gals, or anyone else that likes movies. What we are going to do is we are going to explore a lot of genre classics. We're going to carefully select films that we like or we're interested in, and we're going to do a deep dive into what makes them classics or noteworthy. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think we both enjoy talking about films and the things that we love and we hate about films. Um, while we enjoy, you know, uh, poking fun at some of these movies, I think that um, this is more of a film appreciation show. We'll get a little bit more serious. Yes. And we can cover some material that is a bit slower, a bit more casual. It'll be more of a, a hangout, a, a casual watch. Um, we can discuss some some serious stuff. Uh, we're both interested in in uh, those themes, I think. Yeah, I, I think so, because, I mean, everyone has opinions, but all films are not created equally. That's true. So we are going to pick classics, and we're going to feature some American genres that also cross over uh, into Italy, and we're going to touch mm-hmm. base on some giallo films, because we like kind of the true grime and the oh, yeah. first-person perspective of the killer with the hands on screen, and mm-hmm. kind of those films were very much a root for horror, Although I don't think we're going to probably delve too deep into horror in here. There's lots of other significant film work from other countries outside the U.S. Sure. Horror maybe in the aspect of like, well, let's see. Let's see. If you consider giallo, um, the giallo genre horror, then I guess this is about as horror as we're going to get. But They definitely know. fit the uh, profile for suspense, thriller. And they have some horror elements oftentimes with gruesome deaths. That's true. Uh, suspense thriller is a good term. I like that term. Um, yeah, I think it's a little more accurate because lots of times there's detectives or, or writers. It's not something as generic as an escaped mental con convict or yeah. or something that is uh, supernatural or unexplainable. Mm-hmm. I, I also really enjoy the romance elements of some of these giallo films too. You sure. Know, it's, yeah, always, it's always like uh, some guy's in love with a gal and... You know, she gets murdered, or yeah, there's usually you know. a, a betrayal or yeah. something that uh, ties in at the very, very end, like in right. uh, Blood and Black Lace. You know, I, I don't know if it's the main guy or the main girl, but they take the swan dive off the balcony, and you think they're going to be done, but then they still come inside to, to ultimately get finished off by their lover. Sure. So um, I did look up, like the nerd I am, I looked up the definition for uh, action films and westerns individually. There's nothing wrong with that. I like being prepared. Right. And I thought that, uh, you know, reading them side by side, um, they were, the two were almost indistinguishable, and they really share a lot of similar elements, you know, um, especially some of the, the modern action films. They're really just retellings of classic westerns, right? Yeah. I mean, they, they always have a prominent lead man or a prominent lead ensemble cast. They're very much location-driven, so there's a lot of visual set pieces and stuff like that. And, mm-hmm. of course... Uh, the firearm comes into play. Yeah, the firearm, right? Yeah. Very prominently. Yeah. So um, an action film is a film genre in which a protagonist is thrust into a series of events that typically include violence, extended fighting, physical feats, rescues, and frantic chases. Action films tend to feature a mostly resourceful hero struggling against incredible odds, which include life-threatening situations, a dangerous villain, or a pursuit, which usually concludes in victory for the hero. How can you argue with that? Really, you know, and you can you can apply that to a lot of westerns. And it's also a really good element for just basic storytelling. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. who's our main character? Mm-hmm. Who are they? What do they have to overcome? How are they going to overcome it? Mm-hmm. Right. So the first act usually always introduces the conflict or the dilemma, the problem. Mm-hmm. The middle story, more characters get introduced. They have to find a solution. And then in the third act, it all kind of bubbles over, so to speak. Yeah, definitely. Um, and it, Westerns can be a little bit more esoteric in that way where you have Once Upon a Time in the West that is considered the first postmodern film by a lot of film critics. Um, and Sergio Leone certainly took his time making those movies as beautiful as possible, which is, um, you know, I guess a little strange in the sense of taking this 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 long way around way of storytelling and, and 
putting it in a, in a western it just seems like an odd choice yeah. and the subtleties he puts a lot of emphasis on the subtleties mm-hmm. like the background or a person's facial features or whether or not they're clean shaven whether they're mm. hygienic whether they're dirty what's going on in the background is there some type of noise whether it's a creaky door or there's mm-hmm. a, a busted window or a dusty filthy street so he puts a lot of time in leading up to the chase or the violence and then that is depicted very very quickly sure unlike someone like um sam peckinpah if you've ever saw the wild bunch the violence is usually extended and often shot in slow motion so you see the bullet holes mm. whether they enter from the front or the back and then you see the lead uh, the, excuse me the red splatter and mm-hmm. so it's mm-hmm. just two very much different styles of filming within the same genre definitely a good example of that too would be the show don't tell style of filmmaking that leone really loves is it leone or leone i think it's leone leone the show don't tell style of filmmaking that he enjoyed which here's a good example in the beginning of um once upon a time in the west jason robards makes his dramatic entrance and of course like all these characters have their own unique entrances right yeah like charles bronson character just appears from behind that train yeah and jason robards just sort of stumbles into the frame he stumbles into that um uh livery and um that's the guy that plays uh the character named cheyenne is that correct cheyenne yeah 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 and he, he i love his character but he stumbles in and um charles bronson who was wounded at this point is sort of sitting in the back and he's nursing his wounds and playing his harmonica, harmonica yeah. yeah which i guess was a throwback to johnny guitar yes they do way? reference that several times yeah and uh robards um he has the handcuffs on but he doesn't really come right out and say hey shoot these handcuffs off of me he just says pull your gun out you know and eventually he reveals the handcuffs without saying anything like i think you see him when um he reaches up for the cup of coffee or something mm-hmm. remember it's what, something like that what what's the lady's name is it uh, julia or um the heroine yeah it escapes me well that's okay though yeah but, but yeah it's you never know that he's still in irons or he's right a convict or on the run he right. just his hands come up into frame and there's the shackles yeah exactly so it's a great way of um revealing this, this cool little reveal it's these little details these little things in the story that are so unique to his films and i think that gets kind of lost in some of these other films like i mean as good as some of the films in this box set this vengeance trails box set are you know like uh massacre time or banditos they're certainly nowhere near as masterful no and and they what they do is in any genre something becomes popular something becomes successful it spawns imitation so these are definitely going to be imitation of yeah the sergio leone man with no name trilogy exactly and that's okay that's okay because yeah. you have a film like django which i think does a spectacular job um that cover is glorious it's so nice right i mean he's holding what appears to be a maxim machine gun and yeah i mean this thing has to weigh 300 pounds oh right i mean you're right i mean like, yeah this is this would be normally mounted in like, back, back like in, on a carriage on wheels and they're oftentimes were uh, water cooled sure yeah, yeah it's, it's not really a individual weapon it is a crew-based yeah. location weapon. Yeah. you set it up and there you are right yeah but not Django though he's going to take it into his own hands right it's like a. it's like maybe like a modern you know action film where the hero would be lugging around that m60 or something right and that's really sure. just not practical because the amount of rounds you would need is super heavy fatigue yeah <laughs> fatigue so what that is is you know think of rambo or, or you think of commando with schwarzenegger they're always the main hero is is displaying a massive firearm yeah, yeah definitely wherein like the you know the i'm sure the prop weapon was 10 pounds right well with the exception of the um fourth rambo that uh browning 50 cal machine gun actually weighs like 150 pounds and stallone could hold it but it was heating up so bad so they wanted to do it in the jeep but the back and forth back and forth the recoil actually kept pulling it out of the floor of the jeep oh my god so they poured a slab of cement and they manufactured a dummy jeep to go around the slab Mm -hmm. so then they could film it without the jeep getting all tore up that's amazing isn't that cool it's very cool and uh, that's exactly the kind of thing we're going to be talking about in our show. Um, I think we're both, it's safe to say we're both huge fans of these sort of uh, classic um, anti-heroes like uh, The Preacher or Rambo or, yeah, you know. Yeah, and, and a lot of my movie enthusiasm stems to my childhood in the 80s with my father. He was kind of a salt-of-the-earth kind of guy, worked really hard, 
Typically at the end of the week, his treat was we're going to go rent a couple of videos. He'd get a six pack of beer, a bag of popcorn, and he'd sit back and watch a Western or an action movie. So he introduced me to Clint Eastwood and Jean-Claude Van Damme and Schwarzenegger. So a lot of these films that are just beloved that I watch over and over and over again started with him in my living room. Yeah, exactly. I have a, had a similar experience with my brother. Um, there's a big age gap between me and my siblings, I think. 17 15 to 17 years between siblings so you, you never mentioned before are you older or younger i'm the youngest oh okay yeah all right i'm the youngest so so my uh, my brother was quite a bit older than me i think i was 11 you know the guy was 30 or something you know so but the stuff that he would have had access to to show you at a young age yeah that's pretty cool yeah it was it was cool and it wasn't until i think i was about maybe 11 or 12 that he took me out and we would rent the warriors almost every time i would stay at his apartment i just thought it was the coolest thing we would we would get the warriors and like cage two or cage one with lou ferrigno you know (laughs) um sometimes whatever whatever action movie that just looked really aggressive and you know full of testosterone Yeah. yeah yeah not as much westerns but you know stuff like sharky's machine even things like that you know yeah, I just picked up uh, the Warriors. Ooh, I, I got the yeah, I got the director's cut, which has some weird stuff in there, like some comic book panel kind of segments, which that I don't particularly care for. Not a huge fan of that. No, but it's a it's an excellent movie. So good, right? so unrealistic. You know, they're yeah. they're on the run from everybody in entire boroughs of New York. But who cares? It's a fun ride. You know, from the fights on the subway train and the baseball furies and mm-hmm. the ladies on roller skates, and it's just a fun-filled start from it just doesn't let up right it is is so good james remar and um a a great new york film among the classic new york films like midnight cowboy or annie hall or death wish death wish oh man like we were talking about before like the city in those movies are almost a character themselves right like the city in death wish is definitely a character it is i mean you take that story and you shoot it somewhere else where you don't have those prominent outdoor locations like the parks and the interiors of the subway trains it doesn't feel the same not at all it, it doesn't work like that i don't think would work very well if you shot that in the wide open vast plains of idaho no so you, not at all no the cities become a character definitely um taxi driver as well i mean like travis bickle the the tortured he's certainly not a hero at all just a just a just a he's the main guy. character he's but the yeah. main character but again a western Right, like in the sense of you have a lone guy who sees the world for what it is, a sewer, an open sewer, and wants to exact change. He wants to enforce some kind of justice, some personal vengeance that yeah. he, he writes some wrong he believes has occurred. Yeah, so he's addressing uh, social issues. Isn't that uh, Jodie Foster's pimp is really brutal or something, so he wants to save yeah. her, right? Harvey Keitel. Oh, what another great actor. Have you familiar with ta- Have you seen Taxi Driver quite a few times? or Not quite a few times. Okay. I've only watched it maybe once or twice. Okay. I think it would be a really interesting deep dive to watch a, you know, a genre film, a Western from the 70s, say, um, High Plains Drifters. We just talked. This is 73, right? It is, yeah. And I think uh, Taxi Driver might be 71, 73, 74, somewhere in that five-year gap. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, watch a classic like this um, and then compare it to a modern Western like Taxi Driver, compare and contrast and, and, and see. And with Scorsese, you have a tremendous amount of similarity, I think, to the Leone style of filmmaking, the sort of show-don't-tell sort of thing. And, you know, the... the it, it, But Taxi Driver is a much more claustrophobic movie because you have these tiny little apartments, the burrows of the city, and you really feel the grime on your skin. Same thing with all the, all the Leone films, Good, the Bad, the Ugly, Once Upon a Time in the West. He has these great close-ups of these dirty, sweaty greasy characters oh yeah it looks like they haven't had a bath or a shave in months you can just see the dust the dirt the grime it's believable that those guys have spent weeks on a saddle 100 percent. so when they come into town they get that bath the shave the shot of whiskey maybe mm-hmm. they go to the brothel who knows <laughs> but you can just tell that they don't get into civilization on a yeah. regular occurrence right exactly so and that very much sets the feel much like the new york uh, landscape in death wish mm-hmm. you don't if you close your eyes and you go back to the 18th century, you know, you're not having plumbing and air conditioning. 
Times were rough. They were rough. You didn't have Tylenol if you had a sore back. Mm -hmm. So I think that, um, you know, Eastwood and in his films that he directed after he parted ways with Leone are very much, very different than than those films. He has a very straightforward, almost John Wayne quality to his films, right? He does, but I think Eastwood's westerns are much better than John Wayne's. Of course. John put out so much stuff and he's legendary in an achieved status in his own right but a lot of his stuff was very low budget poor quality but someone gets to start somewhere and you could always knew what you were going to get with john and meaning that is he was the good guy that never ducked a punch he'd never shoot anybody in the back he was so good he was almost squeaky clean eastwood plays flawed characters mm-hmm. certainly more human relatable characters if don't you think? He does. He also had, there. there is a bit of a supernatural element in the lightest possible way in his films, too, because at least in High Plains Drifter and in Pale, Pale Rider, Rider. Um, there's a whole biblical undertone in there. But also, he. this is some trivia come for our first episode, which will be Pale Rider, but he does see his character as sort of a ghost. Right. It's certainly implied when um, uh, the Marshal Stockburns, you, he recognizes him. Right. He, no, that can't be. The man I'm thinking of is dead. Or right. The end of High Plains Drifter, the, the little um, short guy, Mordecai, goes, you never did tell me your name. He's like, you already know it. And he's standing by the tombstone on Boot Hill. It's so cool. What you, what a, look, what a chilling uh, little little thing there. And, um, yeah, you never know, you don't know who um, his characters are in real life. You, the only hint you get of a background is just in Pale Rider is just uh, the the relationship uh, between the marshal and and preacher. Yes, and, and you see a scene where he has his shirt off and there's a number of bullet hole scars in his torso, mm-hmm. which would be very unlikely, although probable to survive. Sure, still unlikely. Sure, and that's what he why he says, you know, um, I, the man I, I you know is dead. This man is dead. Yeah, and Pale Rider is, of course, a reference to the Book of Revelations. Yeah. The Four Horsemen of the Apocalypse, mm-hmm. a pale horse, and upon him set death, so forth and so on. Mm-hmm. And um, one of the best cool scenes in that movie, and, and we'll talk about it more when it comes up, very symbolic, when he takes off his white preacher collar, puts it in the bank deposit box, and puts on his revolvers. Very cool. It is time to take care of business. It's time to go to work. And that's exactly what he does. And we don't know if he actually is a preacher, we have no idea. He he quotes some scripture. He does. He definitely quotes scripture, so that gives it a little more credibility. Yeah. I, I think he has some very good themes in there. He's like, you can't serve mammon, mammon both, mammon being money, which mammon is a demon sure, sure. reference. So What a great scene that is. That, that's the scene where he, um, uh, what's his name? Coy LaHood is trying to bribe Coy him. Coy LaHood. Yeah, and he walks into the he, he he has the preacher come into the store or the the diner restaurant wherever where yeah like their the, office wherever the office, he, yeah and he says hey you know a preacher like you might want a new church you know he might want a bunch of followers might get a bunch of donations and he says you can't serve God and Mammon both but also a very um, kind of a chilling scene in the beginning where the young girl is reading from the Bible and and she says please you know please save us and, and then, then he, out he of appears. the foreground here comes. Yeah. The, the the Appaloosa horse, the white yeah. horse with the speckled spots. and So cool. Just something about his silhouette. He's, he's lean. He's very angular with the shoulders and his, his coat. And mm-hmm. the hat has a very crisp line. It's not like mm-hmm. a frumpled, dirty old cowboy no. hat. He looks sinister from a distance. He does. And, um, you know, thank goodness he's a good guy. You know, he serve, he serves the common man. Like like uh, LaHood just says, well, what's your interest in these people? You know, they're just friends. And yeah, he's like, nothing personal. Yeah, he, they're and just then, friends. Then he's like, well, soon a guy would get to be, start thinking about those collection plates. Yeah, oh, yeah. a preacher yeah. in LaHood County, he'd be very wealthy. Well, that's yeah. why it won't work. Yeah, exactly. So he definitely has principles, which he doesn't compromise. He's righteous, right? Like he's he's in that uh, path of righteousness, as Samuel Jackson said of Pulp Fiction. You know, he, he walks the path of righteousness. Yes, know? that's right. He is a spirit of vengeance in feel if he's not necessarily supernatural but correct and that is the good thing about it is these lead you to draw some of your own conclusions because it's not spoon fed to you it's subtle it's there Mm -hmm. so some one person may watch it and say oh that's kind of weird another Mm -hmm. person like you and i would watch it and say we like what it's implying yeah or suggesting right And and that was definitely the appeal of his films and also and you look at a time when pale rider was released 1985 Back yep. to the Future, sci-fi, all this stuff 
teen movies, Spl- uh, slasher movies, slasher are going movies, full throttle. What does Eastwood do? He he plays the John Wayne card and lays out a, a freaking western, which was the biggest commercial western of the eighties. Of did the eighties, like forty-one million yeah. at the box office. I think it was the last one of the eighties as well. I think the year before that was Silverado. Something like that, yeah. And Silverado just kind of feels like tongue-in-cheek humor. Yeah, it's a little campy. Yeah. But then, you know, after the, the year after uh, that, you had one of my favorite westerns, which is Three Amigos, but we probably won't get into that one. <laughs> <laughs> it's a very good comedy. There's yeah. nothing wrong with the Three Amigos. That's just yeah. kind of outside the scope of yeah, what we're definitely. looking to talk about. Uh, back to horror, though. I looked at this hammer box that I have sitting over here, and... Um, it would be a shame if we didn't cover that. So maybe we will get into some hammer stuff. I think it would be really, really good to pick not, sorry, not to cut you off. No, no. I think we should pick one of the Dracula or Frankenstein movies that have the on-screen pairing of Christopher Lee and Peter Cushing. I think that is the best sample of, uh, hammer horror. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Two icons. And then they did a lot of stuff together. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think. Peter Cushing played Frankenstein seven times, and then mm-hmm. Christopher Lee played Dracula a similar number of times. Yeah, and uh, Cushing often played Van Helsing, mm-hmm. opposite Christopher Lee as Count Dracula. So definitely, yeah. I'd also love to watch um, the Euro Crypt of Christopher Lee box set that I have. There is a beautiful black and white film um, about a, a vampire. That's great in that. It's just it's just moody. It's atmospheric. It's it's really cool. And you get that with the black and white films because it's all shadow and shading and, and texture no it's so good yeah um coming up here too we there's a really great uh i'm really i'm a big folk horror guy so there is a good folk horror box set coming up i'd like to do a maybe a dive into that i don't know it just depends um maybe it doesn't write for this show but we'll see well, if it has the sort of same theme it might work but um it, it certainly doesn't fit any other show that we're a part of for sure but well, there's nothing wrong with, with cherry-picking kind of the best offerings from a given genre. Sure. And changing it up can kind of help you, one, have more options, and two, prevent you from getting stale. Oh, certainly. If we just flipped the old coin, heads being Western, tail being action, we're kind yeah. of unintentionally omitting a lot of good dialogue. Certainly. I, I completely agree with that. Um, and, you know, we've been trying to get Death Wish 3 on our show for so many years, and the, so, many, <laughs> so many months, I'm sorry, but uh, so many weeks. But uh, it's funny because I'm in charge of that, but I still haven't put it on. And it just, you know. The randomness gives it its own unpredictability, which we it like. Does. Yeah, it does. Our last episode was really, really It was good. really funny. Yeah. We like, we were talking, we weren't maybe going to mention our show, but uh, whatever, we'll talk about it. But yeah, I think, it's, I it's think re- we should. It's, re- it's relevant. Yeah. Um, yeah, it just, I kind of choose the episode sort of based on feel. Like, what is my gut instinct telling me this day today? Am I going to, am I going to pick a winner? Is it going to be a, a bad one? Who knows? But we're forced to sort of react to it. But this one is more curated. And, I think so. Yeah. We're, we're both going to do a little bit of research. We'll, we'll mm-hmm. come in hand with some notes, some topic points that we want to mm-hmm. discuss and, and go over. And, of course, just going back and forth, our conversation is just going to hit the ground running. Yeah. And who knows? It may take us down a well-charted, well-worn path or in uncharted waters. Who knows? Who knows? Um, but it'll be interesting for me. Um, it's a really good excuse for me to get into these audio commentaries. And maybe you start getting into some of the audio commentary stuff. Yeah, I hope so. I mean, I love talking about things that interest me with people that mm-hmm. interest me. Mm-hmm. So that's like when I first met you and we sitting there talking and it's like, man, we like a lot of the same stuff. And it, a lot of the yeah. stuff we like is lesser known. It's not like we're talking about, hey, did you see the last Marvel movie? That's oh, kind of yeah. dull and predictable. Yeah, we may share that interest, but uh, we don't talk about, I don't think we've ever talked. Maybe we've, I'm sure you like them, but uh, I don't know. Yeah. I don't care. We don't talk about it. But I'm indifferent to whether I see them or not. Yeah, if I, I catch yeah. it at some point, fine. If I don't, I don't feel that I've missed anything. Right. They're a little too uh, political for me now, tongue-in-cheek politically. They, Oversaturation, too. too. Yeah, too much, man. Uh, that being said, Spider-Man, I'm probably gonna definitely gonna check it out because I'm a huge fan. However, let's not even go there. No, um, <laughs> yeah, we're gonna leave that alone. Um, hey, can I uh, take a look at this here? Look at this Sergio Martino collection. Yeah, the Giallo. Grab that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Go ahead and grab it. Let's Kinda see what that is. Put the image on yeah. screen there, I guess. Cool. Now, I admit I don't know a lot about Giallo compared to some other ones, but I do know some of the more um, infamous or well-known titles, and I think we should look at the case of the Scorpion's Tail. That is a, a usually a well-referenced one on a giallo list. I think you'll enjoy that one. Um, 
Go ahead and take a look at that. Yeah. Um, so this company, Arrow Video, they do, it's a boutique Blu-ray and DVD company, and they will release a special edition. And typically in these box sets, you have a, um, a 2K, uh, which is 1080p restoration. Sometimes they do 4K. Um, and they'll, they'll pack these releases full of audio commentaries, remastered audio, um, sometimes a soundtrack, a poster. Um, yeah, because I have the Initiation and the Mutilator by Arrow. Yeah. And really, really nice. Even if you don't like the movie, it's a whole experience. And, and if you pay 15 if you pay 30 I guarantee you're definitely going to get your money's worth when it comes to these. The, very rarely... Are these bare bones releases? Yeah, because like I think back when DVDs first came out in the early 2000s, it was you put the menu in, it comes right to the title screen. It's chapter selection, audio selection, subtitles. Sure. But if you're looking at something like uh, Lakota de la Scorpion, which, which is you know, the, bear with me if I brutalize the Italian language. That's okay, we're not Italian. Yes, but this does feature a brand new 2K restoration of the film from the original negative. It has a high def Blu-ray in 1080p. It has uh, the original mono Italian and English soundtrack, just mm -hmm. like you said. Mm -hmm. It also has newly translated subtitles. And then it also has some commentary with the writer, Ernesto uh, Gastaldi, and the filmmaker, Federico Cadeo. And that's just a few. I mean, there is a whole paragraph of all the things on here. Oh, look at this. So Deadly, So Perverse, 50 Years of Giallo Films. Um, I have that book right over there on my shelf. You can actually see it from here. So oh. dead, so deadly, so perverse. It's one of my all-time favorites. It's, it's my go-to when I want to when I want to see watch a new giallo picture that I don't I haven't heard of. I'll pick up that book. There's three editions now. The third one just came out, so I've got I own all three editions, and it's they're they're fantastic compendiums if you are obsessed with Italian cinema like I am. And uh, not a lot of people know this. Well, maybe they do. I think all the film nerds out there, I'm sure they're all listening. Um, well, they will be, right. They will be. Um, Italian films um, were, I don't know if this was, or, or just European films in general, but they were recorded with a um, multi-language track, right? So you would have, they were recorded essentially with no audio, right? And then the audio was added afterwards? Right. So you'd have um, Christopher Lee, an English-speaking actor, uh, giving feeding his lines to an Italian speaking actress. She's speaking back to him in Italian, he's speaking in English. There's no and then they would go back and overdub them later for release around the world. And I would think that would make the filming process very, very hard. I mean, how do you give them their prompts or their cues or you know, I would just think that that would make the process really, really tough and unpredictable. I'm not, I'm not really sure, um, but there, you know, that's why these releases are so great because you have. Um, uh, documentaries with film historians and audio commentaries with film historians that probably touch on topics like that. I, I actually don't know the answer to that, but it's really good. I'd like to find that out. Yeah, wouldn't it? Yeah. Because you would think yeah. there would have to be some unintentional bloopers or yeah. things that went wrong. Like when he closes the door, you come in. Never opened the door, never yeah. closed the door. <laughs> yeah. You'd think there would have to be some uh, yeah. shooting mishaps. Certainly. I think that uh, a lot of these actors, too, were classically trained uh, stage actors, right? So probably sure. just in their zone they know their lines right like and they're delivering uh, i'm gonna come through the drapes and get you and put you in the coffin and then she's just you know back at him and then he's reacting he knows his next line all, all he's waiting for her to do is stop speaking so he can deliver his next line right yeah so just waiting for the the momentary lull yeah 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 so maybe maybe that's maybe it's just as simple as that it could be so if they have good on-screen chemistry maybe the language isn't a barrier at all yeah Maybe not. And, of course, the British films, they were, they were not like that. You know, uh, like Vincent Price's movies, for example, like uh, Madhouse or whatever, all English-speaking cast, and you'd still have Italian actors in there. And, you know, maybe they did um, speak in their native language. Maybe there was just one guy who only spoke Italian, and you'd have that just peppered throughout, but not predominantly non-English-speaking. Yeah, and, and you said he came from a theater background because I kind of started to notice that he horribly oversells, like with his sure. facial mannerisms. Sure. And his voice, if I shut my eyes, his voice irritates me. But if I watch him <laughs> on screen, it doesn't seem to bother me. Because right. it's very, it's almost nasally, it's almost whiny. There's something about his voice that's just very, very different. And yeah. that combined with his quirky mannerisms and... Uh, 
it just doesn't always hit the mark. I mean, I guess that's why I don't have a lot of his films. I have mm-hmm. the original House on Haunted Hill. I have House of Wax, mm-hmm. and I have Pit in the Pendulum, and I think that's it. I'm a big fan, um, and I love how hammy he is. I love how Vincent Price he is, you know? Sure. But, um, but would you agree sometimes his facial? Oh, 100%. Is like a, he oversells, to use a wrestling term. He gives it the old Lex Luger treatment. He does. Whoa! He does. <laughs> well, in fact, um, that was a big conflict between Vincent Price and the director of Witchfinder General, and the director of that film really didn't like Vincent Price. And, in fact, I think um, I remember hearing that Vincent Price wasn't the first choice for that character. So he had to really ride his ass and say, don't be Vincent Price. You know, don't don't deliver my lines this way or the lines this way, right? And, and really keep him on his toes. And you can see that he was sort of uh, browbeaten in a sense or just sort of run down by the end and very self-conscious. So he, gets, he gives a very pensive uh, performance and maybe almost passive in Witchfinder General, which is a... Really, only a, there. There's a limited release of that. I think Scream Factory put out the Vincent Price collection one, and there it appears on there. But now copies of that Blu-ray are go for an astronomical amount of money. Sure. Does um, it make a good contrast though? Because his on-screen oh, delivery yeah. is so much unlike everything else yes. he's ever done. It's very understated. So he's, you know, walking through England in this puritanical garb you know he has the big hat and the buckle on it and all this, and he gives a very stilted performance, but. But it's very good because, you know, it channels this sort of uh, uneasiness that, you know, that really works well in that film. Well, he probably never had one, a director, speak to him that way. Never. And so he was probably unaware of some Mm -hmm. of these traits. I mean, exactly. He is who he is. Right. I mean, he's he's an icon and he has his own on-screen persona. Mm -hmm. But if you do something for a long time, then you have somebody else to say, okay, now what you do and you do all the time, you're not going to do that here with me. That's exactly I don't want you to do it. I want you to stop. Right. What's your first reaction? It's like, whoa, you just got slapped across the face, right? You took a punch to the gut or right, right. knee to the ding-ding. You're, ex- <laughs> you're not expecting it. No, not at all. So, and in fact, um, imagine a guy like um, Seagal or Stallone or John Wayne uh, meeting a director that said, you're not going to, your character is, we're not doing that anymore. We're doing something else. Let me, let me tie this in. Uh, John Wayne's last movie, The Shootist, in real life he was dying with cancer. Oh, and, he, and he knew it. And he's also playing a character, J.B. Books, who is dying of cancer. Mm-hmm. And he wants to relocate to a boarding house where he can hopefully just die peacefully. Anyway, he chooses to go out in a blaze of glory when uh, his friend Jimmy Stewart says, if I was a man of your courage, I would not choose to die the death I'm describing to sure. you. So they get to the final shootout, takes place in this bar, and the director wanted John Wayne to shoot one of the guys in the back after he leaves. And he says something to the extent of, in 40 years or 50 years, I've never shot a man in the back. I'm not doing it now. Wow. So if the Duke says, I'm not shooting a guy in the back, the director just said, okay, well, shoot it your way. <laughs> and that, that's exactly how it went. He just yeah. said, I'm not doing that. That's interesting. Yeah. That's fascinating. That's cool, right? It is. It's very cool. It's very cool. Um, and I wonder why Vincent Price he just kind of took that way out, I guess. Maybe he didn't have a choice. I don't know. But Yeah, uh, I mean, maybe he needed the payday and maybe... He was kind of like, oh, not this guy's first choice, but here I am, so maybe I have to play ball, so to sort speak. Sort of, yeah. Yeah, there is a story behind it. I'm not familiar with all that, because I watch a lot of documentaries. I watch a lot of um, uh, commentaries and, and special bonus features. They all kind of blend together after a while. So there is a definite uh, story behind that. But I think that film, Witchfinder General, was originally released. Well, it was released internationally under Edgar Allan Poe's Conqueror Worm, <laughs> which is uh, not at all. Like, and Vincent Price didn't know uh, that. And so someone said, oh, yeah, I just saw you in this film, The Conqueror Worm. And he's like, I never did that film. I don't know what you're talking about. So he didn't know that it was sort of repackaged for the American audience as The Conqueror Worm. Interesting. Yeah, pretty cool. Well, maybe if we uh, touch base, maybe we should watch that one with him. It's a good one. It's certainly a good one for, for this show. It's about as it's about as horrific as I'd like to get on this show. I think that we have just so many... Um, you know, good good things coming up here. And this one here, I've never watched this film. What are we reaching for here, folks? This is uh, "Bring Me the Head of Alfredo Garcia." It was a, <laughs> it was a picture that I picked up. It's an Italian film. So apparently, two things. No, actually, have happened. I'm sorry, it's not. It's Sam Peckinpah. Sam Peckinpah. Oh well, okay, we're gonna have to watch it. Yeah, I'm sorry. So apparently, was... Alfredo Garcia one it gets into trouble, and two somebody wants him to be put to death. Yes. So bring me the head of Alfredo Garcia. Um, as you can see, beautiful edition 
of of this film double disc you have the the bonus disc and then you have the feature but you, you have a really nice uh, beautiful booklet here that has the backstory of the film and just a whole just a whole smattering of of things see now i'm just looking on the back and i'm not even reading it all i'm just glancing over it here's warren oates and he was also in the peck and paw classic the wild bunch okay okay so, awesome yeah, yeah i think this would be a, a good one to kind of do a deep dive into yeah or completely opposite you've never watched it i don't really have any clue right we just put it on and, and see what he gives us yeah that, that that would that might be a really good uh really good way to go i think so let's um, not overanalyze that one yeah we know the director and just put it in and see what it see what happens um we're, we'll do something a little bit different here we're gonna try to pipe in the audio to our headsets and uh so the audience can't hear it obviously for streaming rights and things but we'll be able to listen in real time and we hope that you will somehow find an ability to watch these films uh with us because our our, our podcast is going to be i think best paired with the film itself you know you can certainly listen in your car uh, you can listen at home on your phone wherever at work to get you through the day the long work day but but also uh if you get a chance throw it on like an audio commentary track yeah, and definitely and movies are meant to be enjoyed yeah there's so many films out there not everything gets the same you know marvel treatment where it's over um well, what i want to say a lot of uh, publicity or advertising mm -hmm. for it right and some of these films are in some cases you know 50 years old or yeah or longer so they're not yeah. exactly current but that's not a bad thing right because i think if you take anything there's a whole lot of it out there but not all of it's worth your time right <laughs> yeah exactly right? yeah i mean like we may not be watching like you know uh my name is pecos on this but we might i don't know i mean it's possible this is vengeance trails the uh what's remarkable to me is these these italian westerns euro westerns or spaghetti westerns um feature some early works of horror directors like Lucio Fulci from Zombie 2 and yeah. other ones and uh, Bernardo Bertolucci and Dario Argento yeah how cool is that Dario Argento co-wrote uh, Once Upon a Time in the West that is cool and I shared with you the story that he encouraged George Romero to come to Italy to write Dawn of the Dead right because he liked Night of the Living Dead so he's no no you come you come right so right, he right. just kind of stayed love over that. there yeah I love that story and I, I love that you can draw a line between the two so they're directly related to each other so I would imagine that's why Fulci got his uh, blessing to do Zombie 2 right I would think so because it's an unintentional sequel Zombie right. 2 meaning the sequel to Night of the Living Dead, because right. Dawn of the Dead was just referred to as, I think, as Zombie. Zombie. In Italy. Yeah, so yeah. Zombie 2, there it comes along. You know, I admit, I'm I'm not a huge Argento guy. I have the bird with the crystal plumage. So maybe we could watch, like, uh, either Inferno or Tenabre. Or oh, Tenabre is fantastic. It's it's a, it's a great film. Uh, Inferno is great. Opera is great. Um, yeah, the opera is the one where he ties the person up and forces them to see people get killed during a doing of Macbeth, right? Yeah, yeah, That's yeah. That's kind of an oversimplified. But basically, yeah. Yeah, and, they, and the, she's got like her eyes pinned down, so she, it's something like, like that. It's like um, there's like tape under the eye, and then you have these pins. They pull the eyelid out, and you can't blink. Like you have to watch it. Oh, I'd be done. It's brutal. It's, it's almost like that scene in Clockwork Orange where they have him, and they have that sort of apparatus on his face, and they're forcing him to watch all this violence. That's kind of the same idea. Yeah, well, let's. I've been interested in Tenabre, so. If did we I, could did I, did I loan yeah. that to you? Nope. Okay, um, I've got it over there. Yeah, I think that's a maybe has some region issues. Like, I don't have a all region player or something like that. I have the DVD. Hmm. So it's not all region. So okay. You, well, you, on the way home, maybe we'll have to yeah, find, check find that, that out. Um, there's some really good ones. Trauma is a really good one, too. And that has his daughter, uh, Asia Argento, who is. Uh, be kind of kind of a um i don't want to say a scream queen but she's lovely she, yeah so she had, kind of has her own fan base for, oh. for being a voluptuous attractive woman like uh, yeah. argento actually did a retelling of dracula with rutger hauer and i think it was yeah, horribly she, received but she's in it yeah yeah and she's like um the the love interest in that yeah it's great i love her she's absolutely beautiful striking woman very beautiful dark hair dark eyes kind of that yes. olive kind of 
yes. complexion that Gorgeous. you see in some regions of Italian. Gorgeous. Fawning over her. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> we, we digress. Yeah. The beauty of, of Dario's daughter. Yeah. Uh, Phenomena, he also did too with Jennifer Connolly, which is about a psychic girl who has uh, powers and she controls insects and sort of things. It's a very strange film. She'll probably use them for vengeance at some yeah, point. Something like oh, that. yeah. Great flick. She's an awesome actress. Uh, I love Jennifer Connolly. I she, think so too. She's great. Um, so, this is just a little bit of an overview, a yeah. tidbit of what we're going to try to do when we select a film. We're, we'll try to do our homework we'll, we'll try to talk about what we both like about it maybe there'll be some common ground maybe there'll be some differences but we're going to do kind of a deep dive sure and we hope you uh strap on the old suit and come with us right definitely i'm excited to watch you know even especially some of the old action films that i don't really that i have that are more near and dear to my heart that i don't really feel like poking fun at you know suspension of disbelief is important so we can sort of you know go back to that time where we were a bit more innocent and just watch above the law and just yeah. say, Oh yeah, this is cool. Like I, you know, I have an idea. Yeah. I've mentioned, you know, in jokingly, Oh, he must be working out on the total gym with Chuck Norris. Yeah. If we bring Norris up and I certainly hope we do. Yeah. I think we should watch silent rage. Cause that's the first time oh, he yeah. kind of plays the Texas Ranger. Yeah. And he, you know, of course the year after 1983, he does lone wolf McQuaid, the big yeah. fight scene with David Carradine. Then, you know, Fast forward 10 years, then he's got the Walker Texas Ranger TV show, which we're not going to get into that. That's kind of tongue-in-cheek, kind of silly crap, more or less. Yeah, yeah. It is what it was, episode TV. But anyway, Silent Rage is, I don't know, a lot of people know about it. I mean, you, you Good think, one. Yeah. You think of, um, was it Way of the Dragon, where he has the fight scene in the Coliseum with Bruce Lee. Yeah. You think of his Rambo knockoffs, Missing in Action. You think of his Special yeah. Force-themed films, Inva Delta Force. Invasion USA. Yep, Invasion USA. I really like that. It's good. It, it it's, is it's good. It's a good one. Um, when I was 10 years old, I loved it. So I'm I totally, love it now. Yeah. <laughs> 31 years later, I still love it. I haven't I haven't seen it since I was about 10, but uh, Braddock, Missing in Action, Missing in Action 2. Yeah, Missing in Action 2 was the better one, because that takes place while he's a pow in uh, vietnam okay yeah maybe even uh, iron eagle with uh oh lou gossett jr lou gossett jr yeah some iron eagle that's a classic uh, some of these sort of like knockoff like you have your top gun movie of course but but in the shadows you have iron eagle it's a classic with lou gossett jr and c thomas howell i think right sure great one oh, we could do the hero and the terror with chuck norris where he has to stop a guy who's um killing people at an old opera theater great one yeah the, the big guy simon moon remember he oh yeah oh definitely great choice definitely it's like a bond villain name right it is yeah it is and the guy um i can't think of his name but in real life he was very very massive he was also in dragnet he was the limo driver remember the tom hanks dan Aykroyd yes, dragnet you're talking about uh gans he's like the little gans or something like that yeah he has a really he has a really funny line in that film. We'll talk about that sometime. But I, I, sure. love, I love Dragnet. I love that movie. Oh, I do too. It's great. It's so silly. Uh, Ackroyd plays a great straight man. You know, I, I love I love the straight man in, in, in all these pictures. You know, they're so funny, man. Oh, I know. And uh, the, how can you think of Dan Ackroyd and not go to the Blues Brothers? Man, I haven't been pulled over in six months. I bet he's got scamods. And yeah. <laughs> John Belushi just looks over at him. Scamods? State, county, municipal offender data systems yeah. <laughs> elwood we show your license is suspended step out of the car please <gasps> of course he's not going to do that that'd be a good one i'd love to watch that again i have not seen it for such a long time also i was just thinking too we we're talking about uh, iron eagle uh young guns and young guns too i love that western they're great i have not seen them probably since well, i think when i was 12 i was in eighth grade right so this young guns 2 came out and it had a really solid soundtrack oh yeah blaze of glory with bon jovi loved it that's that was huge you couldn't go anywhere huge. without no. hearing that song no and it's real solid and, and it was sort of in my burgeoning rock and roll days i was almost like i was just sort of getting out of the weird al day you know <laughs> and, and and i just discovered acdc i just discovered uh, ccr like a 10 11 12 and then yep and then Bon Jovi, I had um, New Jersey, I had that record, and I was sort of into the, you know, Poison and Motley Crue and stuff, and that still stuck with me. And it's Young Guns Two is a solid soundtrack. Yeah, you know, I have a friend, although we haven't spoken a number of years. He used to live in Janesville. Then in the early '90s, they moved down south. They lived in Tennessee. We went to go see him, and we went to this very famous uh, music store in Nashville. Mm -hmm. I, I can't remember the name of it. Bear with me. It's been a long time ago. But we're in there looking around and stuff like that. And my buddy Matt, he gives me the elbow. He's like, 
Rob, look who's sitting on the stool over there. And I said, man, some guy in tore up jeans. He goes, look at his face. Look real closer. It was Richie Sambora. Oh, no kidding. Playing some acoustic guitars. He wow, was, nice. Yeah, he had like uh, one in his lap, and he had a couple of them sitting next to him. And it's weird because it, the store was big, and there was a lot of people in there, but he kind of had like this space around him, this like circle. A, like a roped off section. Yeah, so yeah. maybe he had something where it's like, listen, if he comes in there, I'm, I'm going to buy stuff here, but I don't want to be pestered. I don't want to be autographed. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, so maybe he had sure. something with the, the owner where he could go in there and do that stuff and be left alone. Pretty cool. Yeah. It doesn't seem too out of the ordinary for a city like Nashville. No, that seems about right, doesn't it? Yeah, because you've got so much talent there. A lot of wrestling there too, right? It's all it's Ted Turner and all that stuff. Oh, yeah, like Jerry Lawler was the local guy in Memphis for decades. Yeah. yeah. Decades before he got over for sure. the early 90s in uh, WWF. Yeah. Now WWE. Yeah. Um, and like anything wrestling, I think we'll save for our other show be- with our other host, uh, co-host, because uh, you guys are an equal uh, walking wrestling dictionary, you know, <laughs> compared to me. I, I my knowledge is very limited, but you guys, I love listening to you guys banter. You're very current. You both are current on things, and I'm not. And my current uh, attitude is their current product is atrocious. Yeah. So I still find myself going over and watching old uh, 80s Saturday Night Main Event. and Sure. But anyway, I still remember some of the who's who and what's what and mm-hmm. watch it enough where I can at least participate in the conversation. Definitely. Uh, did you watch Lionheart? Not yet. Uh, not yet. I've Good had kind of some different nights and stuff getting home and sure. just kind of feeling... We'll get there. Yeah, a little bit there, but that is one of my favorite Van Dams. I saw a lot so of his good. movies in the theater. I saw Double Impact. I saw Lionheart. I saw Universal Soldier. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, I saw Street Fighter because I loved the arcade games and Super Nintendo game, but that movie's a real turd. No, it's bad. Oh, dude. it's horrific. Um, you know, Double Impact. Or what was the one with um, stupid um, Dennis Rodman? Oh, uh, <laughs> I, I can see, I can see the cover. I can see the cover. Uh, it's uh, bad, dude. It, the title escapes me, but um, yeah, that, that's a turd. What a silly movie. I mean, I don't know. Like, you'd have to be alive in the '90s to really understand you know, how popular. Well, it's all about the '93 Bulls, right? That's where it all sort of stems from. Yeah, and he, of course, Rodman won some championships in the late '80s with the the Pistons, so he kind of mm-hmm. had this reputation as being a gruff physical player. Yeah. Then he had some personal issues that, you know, was his career going to continue? And the <laughs> answer is, yes, it does. <laughs> and he comes to Chicago, and he's very extravagant. He's one of the first players that has heavy tattooing, uh, dyes his hair, all kinds of multicolored, off-the-wall, just very unusual. He's not just a traditional player. You know, he was very antagonistic, whether it was towards other players, whether it was towards interviews, whether it was towards coaches his off-screen issues like with uh alcohol or drinking or partying or not showing up or right. marrying carmen electra mm-hmm. he was a media flavor of the month so to speak he was so by the late 90s you know van damme's already been making movies for 10 years hey why not pair the two of these two together this right. could go great yeah nah, on paper <laughs> on paper but i don't think it was well received by critics or even fans i mean i watched about 20 minutes of it once and I couldn't sit through it. Couldn't no. sit through it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and that says a lot for me because I've sat through some shitters, but I just could not sit through that one. I think on our other show, we have sat through some of the absolute worst movies. I feel like Phantom of the Mall was our last episode we did the other day. And by God, was that the absolute worst? I mean, like Robot Ninja was... I mean, oh my, I like Robot Ninja. It was forgivable, right? Because yeah. because uh, it, it, it's a, it's an adorable movie because the guy made it with his friends. And it's some, a movie like we would make. Yeah, and even though know, you can see the, the, the limitations of what they had to work with, at least it delivers the goods, so it to does, speak. It really does. Or it tries. It tries. But A Phantom of the Mall was just such an utter disappointment in every way. And again, back to Arrow. A spectacular Arrow release. Why this is not Arrow, but a spectacular Arrow release, probably jam-packed with features that you're really going to enjoy. But the film is atrocious. I think the Mutilator is sort of the same way. And there's another one, Blood Rage. I think maybe that's what it was. And the Mutilator, it takes a certain person to like it. And I'll tell you who that is. Me. Okay. <laughs> and what and what I mean by that is, I don't like all genres of horror. I okay. do like slasher movies. Uh-huh. I like them a lot. They okay. have kind of a predictable formula, 
And I like that formula. I like the body count films. Okay. And it's basically you take the big budget Hollywood, I know what you did last summer. Mm-hmm. You strip all that away and you go down to no budget, low profile. That's what you have the mutilator. Mm-hmm. And the very famous scene where the lady gets the gaff hook through the groin and, and comes up through her abdomen sure so it's like the gritty the raw the rough mm-hmm. it's the 60 grid sandpaper of i know what you did last summer. sure and, and you know 83 i think it was filmed oh, or sure. something like that so uh and it has a wonderful cover you know oh, oh, with the meat hook yeah dragging the low blood across the yeah and there's a bunch of people yeah. hanging on the wall from pigs and it says by axe by pick by sword bye bye now, is that the one where in the beginning where he's stalking them? Like they're the, the teenagers are in the they're in the high school. Um, There's that blood rage I'm thinking of. God, I'm not familiar with blood rage, but mutilator the big set piece is like a rental property on a beach. Okay, and then, then, then the killer is definitely a fisherman, so it has like some oh, inside boats okay. of like a fishing boat, and you know whether it's the rubber slicker or just like lobster pots you know like that that textured nets and stuff like that okay i'm i'm uh mixing those films up then because okay. I'm, th- I'm thinking of blood rage and not i'm not the not the mutilator maybe i haven't even watched the mutilator i don't even know so i'll give that one a chance for sure that know? was a movie that um growing up i remember seeing it in the vhs stores and i never got a chance to see it oh yeah then i had an older friend named dan who's like you gotta check out the mutilator yeah. i could never find it and then i finally got a copy at the exclusive company yeah and I loved it for being what it is. Sure. A, a hidden gem of the slasher genre. Definitely. So then I had to get the movie poster for Christmas one year, and I have mm-hmm. it framed on my wall and everything like that. But Definitely. Yeah. You know, and it's funny um, loving those movies for what they are because... I like the simplistic value of them. Yeah. And I like that they give me what I want to see. And mm-hmm. what I mean what I want to see is I like the practical gore effects of mm-hmm. Tom Savini-esque type stuff, stuff like that. If there's a few lovely ladies that lose their top, I like that too. <laughs> that doesn't bother me at all. Yeah. I think they're that's kind of their targeted audience, so to speak. They are a throwback to a bygone era, and I think these days it's a very unpopular opinion to sort of like films like that and uh, you know not be called a pig or whatever. But uh, hey, you know what? I like the beer and pretzel atmosphere of it. I yeah. can put something in. I can sit back. I can put my feet up. It's mm-hmm. going to be a fun ride. I know where the ride is, is going to take me, mm-hmm. but I don't care because it's a fun journey. It's a fun way to, to get there. I agree. You know, Maybe it's some people kind of tweak their nose or call it lowbrow entertainment or lowbrow It certainly humor. is. And that's fine. Yeah. <laughs> and that doesn't bother me yeah. at all. Yeah. It doesn't really bother me. So. You, you get that a lot, though, too, um, with some a lot of these films. You would consider like... An old man genre, more or less. Yeah, yeah. You might you know, consider this one, a High Plains Drifter and, and Pale Rider, to be more a bit more highbrow, maybe. And then you might consider Banditos or this glorious set, the complete Sartana, to oh, be yeah. a little more uh, lowbrow, right? Because Yeah, it, it becomes, like I said, the imitation versus the form of flattery. I mean, look, the name of this one alone, Sartana's Here, Trade Your Pistol for a Coffin. Oh, how cool is that? It's glorious. <laughs> how cool is that? It's absolutely glorious. I mean, so these movies really are just for our, our show. I mean, our show is for... And see, now these Western films, they too will follow a, a certain formula, much like some of the slasher movies or, or other things like that. There's, yeah. there's going to be you know a hero that has to overcome something or, or save someone in distress or free the locals from... An oppressed villain. Oh, look at that. He looks like... Um, He's even a cross between like Lee Van Cleef, Charles Bronson, Eastwood. Who's the guy from Maverick, too? Oh, yeah, James Garner. James Garner from Maverick. Yeah. Very, very similar. And, of course, this was in, like, 1960-what? Who knows when yeah, this 60s, was. 70s. Yeah. Yeah, so they're old films. They are old films. And, uh, you know, how hugely influential were all these movies? But, yeah, that's what the show is going to be. We're going to... We'll have a good time and come hang out and watch a couple of flicks, talk yeah. some movies. Yeah, and, and expand your horizons. There's yeah. lots of good films out there. Mm-hmm. Do a little research, do a little digging, and you never know what you might find. You might find that there's a lot of stuff out there, one, you're completely unaware of, and two, once you get into it, it's that's that. I mean, you may watch a Giallo movie like Blood and Black Lace, and mm-hmm. that's it. It's like, I'm going to get into these, and I'm going to find them. I'm going to hunt them down. Yeah. And that is fun. That's part of being an enthusiast, part of being the collector. is Because mm-hmm. I try to be a little more selective about what I put into my film library these days because I used to have just a ton of stuff. But lots of it, uh, you watch it once, you watch it twice, and then it sits there for a few years and you get rid of it. Now I try to watch a lot of stuff that I come back to. 
And my film library is overflowing. Which is glorious in its own right because it gives us a lot of subject matter. Yeah. A lot I, of options. I've called a moratorium on purchasing. Uh, after Black Friday this year, I'm done. Tapped out. We're good. We had to stage an intervention. Dude, <laughs> for the next year, well, that's not true. The next month, I'm not going to buy anything. Yeah, but a year is totally unreasonable. Yeah, it's completely unreasonable. Any 28 to 31 days is I'll be good. Yeah, enough of an exile. I'll be good. Well. So that's just kind of an overview yeah. of what we're going to do, and I believe our first episode is going to be Pale Rider. Pale Rider, yes. The first uh, Clint Eastwood directed western. Well, um, or no, no, he no, directed. No, Hang 'em High was. The, yeah, yeah. I think the first one. And like I said, I I think if you're going to talk an iconic western character, the conversation starts and ends with Clint Eastwood. I mean, I love John Wayne, I love his status, but Clint is my favorite, absolute and, favorite. And you know, you you took that into a different direction because I, you know, when I the original um, genesis of this show was just going to be about. Django. This actually inspired me to want to do this show, this film right here. Sure. But um, you put the Eastwood spin on it, and I hadn't thought of that because I was largely unfamiliar with his body of Western work. I mean, I, I've seen it, but I didn't study it. You know, I'm a sure. huge fan. So digging further into it, and I saw how deeply connected his films are and responsible for films like Django yeah. and Sartana. This is essential viewing. We have to start here. I think so. I mean, his man with no name in the Sergio Leone trilogy is the character for any of these movies. Anything that anything that follow, he's the lone drifter, right? He's got mm-hmm. the he's got the hat. He's got the poncho that he's going to throw over his shoulder. Right. He's got the five o'clock shadow, the stubble. He is a man of few words, but big action. It, it, he's essentially Batman and Pale Rider. Right, yeah. you're, you're waiting for him to stumble, and he never does. He's no. just like, there's never that moment where anyone bests him. No. It does not occur. But what I like about that is he, the way he does it in Pale Rider, it's believable. He uses the terrain, whether he's hiding behind crates or he's lying prone behind the water trough, and the guy sticks his head over and he puts the revolver up and bam, yeah. right in the neck, or he's using yeah, the, yeah. the hayloft. He's not standing in the middle of a street, one against twenty, and he just blasts them all down. He that, gets them. Yeah. He, he ticks them off one by one by one. Uh, except for the scene where he comes. A, oh, the, 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 yeah, Penn. the guys that try to ambush him. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then Chris Penn, that whole scene, and he's just like bam, 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 bam. Well, then he goes into that uh, the library or the where that office, and he takes them all out. It was bam, 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 bam. Right. Yeah. Well, the Chris Penn thing is a little, you know. He shoots the gun and shoots him in the hand, which is pretty impressive. It's pretty, yeah, it's pretty cool. Because those old iron <laughs> sights, they don't want, run themselves to pinpoint accuracy, but it, it's visual, right? Well, he's reaching yeah. for it, and he gets it in the and hand, he's, and he's, he's grimacing. He's down here. He's he's firing from his hip. Yeah. Right? He's yeah. not he's not like doing this thing. He's on his horse. Unless it was a car or a small building, I couldn't hit it from, from, <laughs> there's <laughs> from no, your hip. No, there's no way. Yeah. There's no way. But, yeah, and the guys come in and... They think they're going to shoot him when he's in there having coffee, and he's like, are you through? And then they start to reload, yes. and then he blasts them all. What a great scene. Yeah, because they were all close together, like in a real yeah. small. So those guys, he goes through, like, you know, shit through an iron goose. Yeah. But otherwise, it's pretty, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, anyway, we digress. We digress. We're gossiping. So, uh, yeah, well, join us. Uh, stay tuned. Be on the lookout for our next episode. This uh, show is going to air tonight uh, on Anchor. You can find our podcast on Anchor. You can also find our podcast on YouTube, the video version. I think I'm going to try to get the video version on Spotify as well. So, yeah, whatever so, you think. I certainly enjoy the audio tracks on Spotify. You can find it. It'll be uploaded tonight. As soon as you leave here, I'm going to master the audio, get it uploaded. I'll send you the link. I'm not sure. I've never used I've never actually used Anchor before. Our co- other co-host uh, handles all of the uploading for our other show. Um, so we're going to be doing, I'm going to be doing it all in-house for this of course for our other show i'm responsible for all the the video and and the audio mastering and the graphics you see logo design it's all my stuff it's all my artwork so rick is very much kind of the creative nucleus so to speak i'm a good producer you are a good producer yeah very very much so and uh i admit that i kind of have a a quirky personality kind of a very diverse past and a gift for gab so i'm going to try to contribute a lot of um, good potential ideas or film options and and i think you and i are not going to have any problem no, we'll be talking fine. the whole time well you're the straight man right you're the you're the classic straight man 
which I, on this I, show I definitely will yeah, be. <laughs> I love that dynamic, you know, um, for our show, and it's it's you know it's all gentle ribbing on the other show. You have to find you got to find someone's quirk and lean really hard into that and make it outrageous. And then the whole idea is that it's so overblown and so abstract that it's just not true. Like you know you can't just be disparaging towards someone meanly. It's got no, no. It's, it's all in good sense of humor. It's got to be so over the top that it just it, it, it's a caricature of itself, right? So, but not yeah. on this show. This show's not going to be about that. Okay. No, yeah. This isn't um, going to be about two guys sitting there joking. We are going to enjoy the movies, and we hope you do too. Yeah, it'll be fun. It'll be a deep dive. So, um, again, look for our our episodes coming up on Spotify. Here, we'll probably do two a month. I think so because we want to put a little time into them, mm-hmm. make good choices, and have a lot to discuss. And let's be real, okay? Because the good, the bad, the ugly is three hours long. Oh yeah, time constraint is <laughs> going to be a factor for some of our choices. I mean, we got shit to do. We're in our forties. We're tired I can't old sit men. and watch a movie that long without having to pee at least three times. <laughs> I'm telling you, dude, it just can't happen. All right, it's going to be it's going to be a stretch. So it's going to be nuts. Okay. All right. Well, that's our introductory episode. I hope you enjoyed us, and hope you stay with us. I hope you stay with us as well. We're going to have a lot of fun. Thank you.